Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the Personal Resilience Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi, Margaret. How are you? Hi. Thank you. Yeah, I'm fine and I appreciate the invitation. So, uh, Thank you so much for being here. So you're a professor of many things. You've learned about many things in your life and done many studies. It's an incredible career you've had. So for those who don't know you, do you mind explaining who you are and what it is you do? Yes, it would be my pleasure. Uh, I'm actually a transpersonal psychologist, psychotherapist for many, many years. I worked internationally with different peoples in different continents, which gives me insights in different unconsciousness. And I'm also a licensed acupuncturist, which has helped me to understand how energy functions. At the same time, wow. I have a master's in psychology and uh, I'm running a center here in Bali. So now I have to say, Hence of course- the beautiful backdrop. <laughs> Yes, and, and of course, I have many, many years of experience. So, um, yes, and I'm willing to open that up for people to maybe benefit from that or support people. Definitely, yeah. You've had an incredible career. How did you find yourself in this place to sort of go from, you know, transprofessional psychotherapist to acupuncturist, sort of how did you end up where you are today? You know, um, there's something, we we will get already into the resilience thing if I talk about that, because there's something about inner calling, yeah? And I came Mm. here to Bali when I was already 60 years old. So I'm at uh, an institute before I trained psychotherapists for 22 years. And then it got me into Bali. It was a calling. I would call it a calling, because I don't want to start talking about karma here, but I'll call it a calling, (laughs) Yeah. No, of course. That's incredible. So before we dive into the interview questions, the nitty gritty stuff that we're all looking forward to, um, we're going to do the part of the show, which is where we get to know the guest. So this is where I'm going to ask you some questions for the listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? Okay. So the first question is, what is a recent book you have read? Well, basically, I read lots of books, and uh, I also reread my own books a lot because maybe they were written fifteen years I ago, and I have to, <laughs> I have to rewrite some of the things because they are no longer up to date. <laughs> yeah? So yeah. Uh, I do read lots of books, basically, but that doesn't mean I read from beginning to end. It means I look at the title, I see what's the content. Is there something mm. new? Because, uh, because a lot of late, late research has shown very incredible things, especially about healing mm. and frequency and electromagnetic fields and the psyche and things like that. So there's no specific book. Right. Okay. But you just read lots of books. We love that. That's what we're here for on this show. <laughs> so um, what is a movie you would recommend? We spoke a bit about this um, before we started recording, so I'm interested. Well, there are different things. Uh, if we talk about uh, uh, a commercial movie, not commercial, but an excellent movie is called Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, number one. And that is available on YouTube. And this is one of the movies I recommend to everyone. And then there are many others okay. because I also teach permaculture. The Thrive is excellent. It gives you a real education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. What's that? What's it about? Uh, Thrive is about following the money, finding out where the money goes, who gets the money, the pyramid, 
and then what is happening yeah. with the people who are inventors and things like that. It's a very, very, I would say, eye-opening movie. It's 12 years old, by the way, but I think it's right. an eye-opener. Wow. It's an eye-opener, yes. It's still relevant. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. So my third question is, who is your famous role model? All right. Uh, you know, um, I would would break this down a little bit because there were several important teachers in my life at several different periods of my life. So there is not one role model, but there's several people I have learned a lot throughout my life from. I would say it like that. Yeah? Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Have they been like academic teachers or just like personal friends or? Uh, for example, for example, uh, I was sometimes I was with the Tibetans, yeah? Then I was in the Zen yeah, monastery, right. I was a Zen teacher, yeah? And then I have a permaculture wow. uh, teacher, which is very good, who is very, very excellent. You know, it varies a lot. And, of course, I have mm. some uh, friends who are in the academics who have good, do good work. So for me, that changes. It's not one role model per se. When you're young, I think you have a role model. You have a singer. You want mm. to be like Elvis Presley or something like that. <laughs> but, yeah. But this is more like flowing into different learning, learning and having different mm. people teaching you different things at different times. Mm. Definitely, yeah. It sounds interesting. I just want to touch sort of on something that you mentioned. You mentioned uh, Tibet and sort of living with that and going to these different places. How many different countries have you visited? Do you know? Well, I can tell you I lived in different continents. Uh, okay. Uh, I lived in, I mean, countries, quite a few. Uh, I lived in Hawaii for a while in Zen Monastery. I lived in Santa Fe for many years. I lived in New York for many years. I, I visited uh, wow. uh, Okinawa because I used to do karate as well, yeah? So I lived in Okinawa oh, cool. for some time. Well, you know, you're asking a lady who has lived many years already. <laughs> so, well, I love that. Well, you know. You never know where people have been. I find it so interesting, and that has just informed. I taught in Russia. For, uh, I taught oh, wow. in Russia during the Glasnost period. You know, so many. Yeah, mm. I lived in Africa and Kenya wow. for a while. So I have a lot of oh, experience under my belt, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I hope when I get to that age, I can say that I have been to as many places as you have. <laughs> Well, you, 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 I hope so. I hope it remains open. I hope so too. <laughs> I hope, I hope so too. That. Right. that would be amazing. So my fourth and final question is um, a course you have completed. Again, I don't want to sound overwhelming because uh, I have done so many things, yeah? Uh, I'm a PhD in transpersonal psychology and MA in psychology and counseling. Um, I have an, I'm an acupuncturist, I'm a certified permaculture teacher, uh, I'm, I did shiatsu, and uh, also Japanese flower arrangement I did for many years, yeah, Okinawa, wow. Kibana, yeah, yeah. Kinobo. so oh my goodness. it's not a, yeah, it's where the life leads you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not an easy question to answer clearly, but that is amazing, very inspirational. So um, thank you for answering those questions. We're going to dive into the nitty-gritty sort of interview part of it now. So as I already mentioned today, we are discussing how existential crises affect our personal resilience. So for our listeners, Margaret, how would you define personal resilience? Uh, to be very frank, I cannot define this in these, uh, in these terms. I can describe uh, I stay okay. away from definition because it's different for each person, whatever that is. Yeah, exactly. That's something that we've definitely found on this show is that everyone's um, definition of personal resilience is different. So I'm interested to see what you think. Well, uh, personal resilience has to do with being able to deal with daily things and the circumstances and all, all that mm. which is happening right now, yeah? So I would call mm. it your personal inner attitude towards things. Yeah? Okay, and then, interesting. And, and that needs to be based on a powerful 
sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. Sense of self-worth. And if you call it talk about resilience, if I have a good and healthy sense of self within me, then I can deal with what's happening to me. My attitude changes and I can deal with what's around with me, especially now. We need an inner stability. So uh, we call it an inner stability, resilience, inner stability and attitude. Interesting. Yeah, I think from what I found with all the definitions that have been provided or sort of the descriptions of personal resilience, because like you pointed out, it's something that you can't really define and sort of you can't give it like a dictionary definition because it is so different and unique to each person. So why do you think resilience is important in our life? Uh, I wouldn't call it resilience. Because resilience is from the outside. Okay. If you don't have a proper yeah. sense of self and a connection with your inner being, and that manifests outside, you can call this resilience. Mm-hmm. But resilience to me is from the outside in. <clears throat> in order to okay. be resilient, you have to first develop a good sense of self. Yeah. Okay. So is it, is, do you mean sort of like personal identity? Is that sort of what you mean? Um, it's like learning to love yourself for who and what you are, and that gives you inner strength, and that in turn gives you the resilience. Okay. Yeah? If you don't have that, there's no resilience. Yeah. There's something prior to resilience. There's prior to resilience. There's something prior to resilience, yeah? Okay. Yeah, okay. That's so interesting. So... A lot of people think that being resilient means being immune to stresses and adversity. What do you think about this? Why do you think people have this misconception? Because we are not taught the proper way. We are not taught the proper way. We're exposed to so much stress. The only way to find inner peace or go inside is to do certain things and connect to the heart. Mm. So when I come from inside, then I can deal with these things differently. And I will choose to have less stress, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because I think of like the misconceptions surrounding resilience are sort of informed by a lot of different um, sort of variables that are uncontrollable. And you mentioned sort of choosing to not be stressed. Do you think people choose to be stressed? They can only choose if they have a resting point within themselves. Okay. You cannot choose. So what does that mean? You're overwhelmed from the outside. What it means is that I can take a deep breath and focus within. Focus on your breath. Calm down. Feel yourself. Feel your heart. And see what is your choice now. How will I react to this? How will I do this? Now, what you're talking about, resilience, is based on the continuous stress in our world today. It doesn't matter if it's office. It doesn't matter if this or that and the other. It's we're continuously bombarded. So once you have the capability of focusing within to a resting point, I mean, self-esteem or whatever you want to call it, it's not self-esteem. It's really resting within. Then I say, okay, do Mm. I want this? Do I want this? Or, no, this is too stressful stressful for me. Okay? And then I yeah. pull back and see what do I want? How do I want my life to be? Yeah. Interesting. So I want to turn to existential crises now and sort of how that works as a human being because you hear about these a lot and I feel like, I've never really understood at their core sort of what they're about and kind of what it actually means because I hear about midlife crises a lot. I hear this. (laughs) I hear this a lot in terms of my friends and their parents and aunties and uncles and sort of stuff having midlife crises and existential crises. So how do you define an existential crisis as a human being? Uh, You know, I see a lot of people in my practice, yeah? And uh, I, I don't define 
because each one is different. I listen to what I get from that person to me. And to me, a crisis is something, is a place where your inner being wants to change something. There's something which is not correct, which is not right, which doesn't befit you well. So a crisis is a chance, an opportunity to grow. Now, if I look at it from the negative perspective, then, oh God, oh God, I mean, this is horrible, this is awful, this is this and then the other. If I look at it from another perspective, okay, now I'm in this mess, I feel horrible, I don't know what to do, let me see what is my next step. But in order to do that, you have to be connected to within. That's what I said before, yeah? You have to be connected within. Mm. If you're not connected within, you can't do that. So, <clears throat> and the existential crisis, not talking about the, the, the midlife crisis or whatever, existential crisis is mainly because there are no values available anymore, yeah? You work in a, in okay. a factory, you work in an office, you work for money, you pay your rent, you do this, you do that, you bring a family up, and all of a sudden, is that it? Okay, is that yeah. it? No. Yes, that's it up to now. So you have to shift your values. You have to shift your values away from the money thing, away from these things. It doesn't mean you don't do it, but it doesn't take, it, it's no longer the main lead in your life. Okay? Mm. Yeah. Money is energy. You need it to live. But you can change, yeah. <laughs> shift, and yeah, but not, this is not your, all your focus. So midlife crisis is mainly of people who have been working a lot and maybe have been successful, mm -hmm. maybe less successful, and all of a sudden it's boom. Yeah? Is that it? So it's like now you have to look for different values. What are your values? What are you going to do with your life? How can you shift your value system? This is what I support people when they come to me, okay? With to their mm -hmm. grow. It's a growth opportunity. It's an opportunity for growing. It tells you what I have, you have been doing was okay. It's not this was bad. It's not that. What you have been doing up to now was okay. Now it's time to shift. It's time to learn something else. It's time to look forward mm. to some other values. What, maybe you wanted to become a, a, a diver. I don't know what. Maybe you want to become a gardener. <laughs> yeah. A gardener. Or maybe you want to, to grow something. And I always recommend gardening and earth, always, for healing, yeah? Okay. Like grounding, yeah. very important. Mm -hmm. Or you want to make some pots and, you know, pottery. I don't know. But important is that the values change from the running for money, for running for success, into something which gives you quality. One is quantity. Mm. The other one is quality. And that's a yeah. chance of growth. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I love that. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Quality versus quantity. I love it. So we're going to dive into that a little bit more in a second, but first I want to ask you, how does existential crises and personal resilience affect us as a human? Sort of how did, the, how are they intertwined? If you do not have a sense of self, now, again, I'm talking with our innermost connection, with our heart, with our, we are, we are much more than just money-making machines, okay? If you have that, or, or, or slaves running around, you know, uh, if you have that inner connection, deep inner connection, which I explained as, uh, if you act from there already, mm. the uh, existential crisis, will affect you much less. It might affect you. Okay. It might affect you, but it will affect you much less because you already have certain values and now you need to change the outer values in the mm. existential crisis. It will affect you less. It might still affect you because you have to support a family, you have to do this, you have to do that. And you might have to get the whole family to support you in a sense, not in the money sense, but in the sense of emotionally, what are new values you can bring in, bring into the family with the family? Mm. So they they are mostly interconnected, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Interesting. 
You've mentioned a lot sort of just in the past couple of questions, having like a strong sense of self and like being connected with your inner self. What does that look like? How do you know, like when you see someone and you're talking with a client or something like that, how can you sort of tell and how can a person tell if they are connected, like if they have a strong inner sense of themselves? You know, I work a lot with the heart. A lot of my work is uh, meditation and meditation, heart meditation. And after a while, the heart responds directly. It has a voice. So if you don't know what to do, you just close your eyes, go to your heart and say, is that right? No. If no, you take the consequences for your action if it comes from the head. The heart chooses, the head executes. Okay? So I help people to find that place first, yeah, before anything else, to find that place where they can go and where they can uh, get answers for themselves. But that takes a little training, yeah. okay? It takes a little training. I don't know if that answers your question, but... <laughs> no, it, it does, I guess. Like, I guess sort of my question was kind of asking, like, when people have an existential, I don't know, how do you know if you really, like, have a strong inner sense of self? Like, how do you know if you know who you really are? Like, how do you define that? Okay, now you're trying to, I would have to give you a therapy session right now. <laughs> to show you that, you know, which I don't want to do. But yeah. it's 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 right. very interesting what you can do. You close your eyes, see yourself. Mm. See yourself sitting in this chair. And do you like what you see? Or do you want to change Are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing the exercise with you, but it's not the place to doing that. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's the capability of becoming an observer and the capability to see what you uh, coming an observer and see what are the things you like or dislike about you. Okay? Mm. And the things you dislike most, you need to embrace. Sounds funny, but it is like okay. that. We, do, we, we all hit on top of it all the time. But that's not it. So when you do that, something happens inside. And that gives you stability. Mm. That stability can grow. I mean, I'm not giving you a therapy session here, so you have to come to see me to do that. But, <laughs> but, but it's a very powerful tool to help people mm. in a very short period of time, actually. Yeah? Interesting. So, so okay. that, that yeah. it's like an inner vortex, an inner stability coming from the heart. If you learn to love yourself and like yourself, this can grow very quickly. Mm. And that is your guiding, what do you call it? Lighthouse or whatever, something like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And from there, then you'd make choices. You make choices, yeah? Mm. That's important. Okay, yeah. So when people first come, they might, they might be, it's like they're removed from themselves. They're outside of themselves or they're out of the body, whatever they are, due to come some kind of trauma. It's like moving them back so they can come together again. And then you feel the center. Mm. Mm. That definitely, yes, thank you. That definitely answers my question. <laughs> so moving on, um, when we are kids, we don't think a lot about life and sort of what it means. And you can see this in children and how they react and all that kind of stuff. But when does the feeling of having a purpose in life sort of start to play an important role? in our lives as humans? That's very interesting because sometimes little kids have already a sense of purpose. Again, okay. I cannot, you know, you say seven years, the, the thyroid stops working, da-da-da-da-da-da, the brain develops, da-da-da. I find that sometimes small children know exactly what they want to do. Hmm. And there is no particular age. Of course, when you go through puberty, there are some ups and downs and hips and hops. And people have to try out some things. You know, they should have the permission to mm. try for a few years. But sense of purpose can be there very early or not at all. 
not in touch with that sense of purpose. Yeah, some are in touch with it, some are not in touch. And uh, again, when I say a purpose, meaning you have to be able to connect deep within to have the true purpose of your life. And some people, the purpose is really just to be happy and joyful. People have different purposes in life, I find, yeah? Hmm. Oh, does definitely, an, yeah. Does it answer your question? <laughs> yes, it does. I just, like, how do you think this feeling and sense of purpose affects young people and how they grow up? I think it has a powerful effect on young people mm. because yeah. they already know what's right and wrong. I don't like the word use right and wrong, but they already know what is conducive for their purpose. And maybe they okay. do some errors on the way, but they will get back to it. Yeah, maybe there's some uh, detours on the way, but they will get back to it at some point. Mm. Maybe only in the midlife crisis. Because the sense, <laughs> yeah, maybe the sense of purpose has been covered up, yeah? Through all our our conditioning and programs, yeah. So, mm. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, you mentioned <laughs> midlife crisis, and that takes me into my next question. So, we hear terms like quarter life crises or midlife crises or all those kinds of things, and sort of it sounds like the questioning of meaning and purpose of life can occur sort of like several times sort of throughout a human yes, lifespan. absolutely. Can you explain sort of what that means and why this happens? No, I cannot. <laughs> it's, your <destiny. laughs> it's your destiny. What I just said before, I said sometimes yeah. you get, your purpose gets covered up through whatever. You make a detour in drugs, you make a detour in this, you make a detour in this. And uh, it just means that there's something, now we get to resilience, okay? Something very resilient in you, which wants to follow your purpose. So it brings you back each time again. And that can be small crisis, can be midlife crisis, can be young people crisis, can be any time of your life can be a crisis. Again, we need to look at crisis as growth. It's trying to guide you back to your own way. Your own, if you want to use the word purpose, yes, I'll call it self. Yeah, when you use your own purpose, yeah. okay. So, I think it can happen anytime mm. because yeah. your kids then they, they have another father or another mother and they teach them this and they teach them that, and then this gets lost for a while. And then, at some point, oh, wait a second, this is not where I want to be. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> so how can we identify that what we are experiencing can be considered as an existential crisis? I think uh, most probably I would say like uh, it's really shaking my foundation. Yeah, it, it's shaking me in mm -hmm. my foundations. Uh, it's not just something... A trauma is one thing. Yeah, it's, there may be different traumas which shake me my foundation too. But it's like shaking my foundation of what I have done so far. All these things are no longer applicable. They don't satisfy anymore. And I need to do something. And there's something I need some, to find something else. Yeah? I would... I would uh, yeah. Describe it like that, yeah? Okay, so how as humans, how can we overcome an existential crisis? Do you think an existential crisis can be overcome or do you think it's something else? I think, frankly speaking, anything can be overcome. Okay? Okay. We have incredible healing potential in us which is not recognised. We only treat the disease. We never look at the healing potential. And I think it's time to... It doesn't... It means also physical. Every cell has its own healing potential. But we don't... In our culture, we don't do that. We have allopathic medicine, mm. which treats symptoms. 
instead of stimulating the underlying healing potential. So if we go into the, uh, what was the question? The, the, the identify is, what was your question? No, I'm getting lost. So like here. how can we um, as humans overcome an existential crisis? Okay. Yeah. So uh, again, uh, change the perspective look at this shaking you from the bottom as something wants something else to manifest. Once you manifest who and what you're true, you're looking for your purpose. Now I'm using your words, okay? Your purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is uh, I think, and if you can do that and get help, you need help. You need professional help. You have to get good professional help. But just psychological help is not enough, I think. You need to be, begin okay. to believe, to believe in yourself again and believe that you are looking for something very valuable. And this is shifting this crisis into a, a, another direction. If I think I'm destroyed, I don't want to do anything. Yes, this is what we are taught. It's a disease. It's an illness. It's not. It's a huge potential for growing, but you have to get this through your head and through here. And that's very difficult because you are not conditioned to do that. You're conditioned to look at the symptoms and not mm, at the possibility yeah, to which definitely. these symptoms, symptoms open up. Yeah? Yes, you can be overcome. Mm. Absolutely, I think. I've worked with several people with okay. that. It's not like that. And yeah, I find it, how can I say, very... Um, rewarding if you see people moving slowly out of it and into something new and learning mm. new things. Yes. Again, I emphasize how important is the earth. Uh, important is garden, mm. touching clay, touching garden, doing gardening or any of these things because, again, the earth resonates as a Schumann frequency and this is your AC, this is your connection for grounding. And as soon as you're on the earth barefoot or something, automatically you feel that particular connection to the earth, which is very helpful already on its own. Yeah? Mm. But if you have an existential crisis, you either go drinking or you go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Or you go on drugs. No, yeah. You go on drugs, you escape, you try to escape. Yeah. Mm. Which is okay yeah. because we are not taught to look at it. We're not taught, this is this way, okay? And what I'm trying to say mm. is it has to go this way. Look at it. Interesting. Okay? Mm. And this takes mm. courage. This takes courage. But Definitely. Maybe most of your past life is down the hill, you know? Uh, this takes courage. So I invite you to have courage. Mm. Yes, you can overcome Interesting. it. Why do you think... Why do you think people find it so hard to have courage to overcome it? Because we're not taught. We're taught right. to go for pills. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. You mm. go, you want the instant release, and you go for pills. That doesn't mean pills mm. cannot be helpful. Please don't misunderstand me. There may be a support yeah. for a short period of time. Okay? That's okay. But... That's the solution usually. Then more pills, more side effects, more pills, more other pills, then da 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 da. Mm. I see many Definitely. people. So you touch. Sorry, continue. No, go ahead. No, no, I'm I'm interested. Yeah, we don't. We don't. We don't. I mean, pills can be helpful if you're in a depression, but you need to look why you're in the depression. You need to look mm. at what caused the depression and turn towards depression. And you don't do that because it's so difficult to get up in the morning and you do this and that and the other, yeah? So you need a kick in the butt and turn towards it and look at that inner child or whatever it is which has been depressed for so long. You need to hold it, you need to caress it, you need to love it. So that can help. Now, temporary pills is fine. No problem. Yeah. But it's not a solution. I've seen people two, three years on pills and nothing changes. They have other side effects then. 
interesting. So you mentioned before the importance of engaging with the earth and sort of being grounded in that. And while we were doing our research for this show, we found a concept called eco-existential positive psychology. Very big name. So where this is where nature has an important role in dealing with an existential crisis. So can you help explain a little bit more about this idea? I know you touched on it before in terms of the importance of gardening is something that you recommend. Um, so, and permaculture, how do you connect these things? Well, uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with this uh, existential positive psychology. I'm not familiar with that expression. <laughs> right. Neither okay. am I. Echo existential positive psychology is a nice way of putting it. For me, it's not positive psychology. Psyche is soul in Greek, mm. okay? So it's like allowing yeah. your soul to come forward or come out, okay? And echo mm. meaning we have we are totally disconnected from the earth. We are totally disconnected from anything which is natural, okay? We have all the asphalt, we have this and that and the other. So in my experience, because I'm here in, in Bali and I'm running now for 15, 20 years permaculture retreat center with heart self-intelligence approach is that if people come here, you have to do physical exercise, yeah, which means could be yoga, could be kung fu, could be qigong, anything else on a regular basis. You have to do work with yourself and you have to do uh, that means psycho psychological approach is part of it. And then you have to work in the garden. You have to go in the garden. You have to feel the earth. As I said before, now there's a new thing is called uh, grounding. And grounding is that the yes. frequency of the earth, yeah, this is the new thing. So absolutely, go barefoot. Go barefoot on the earth, yeah, feel it. Touch I don't know if you want to do pottery or cut wood or make wood carvings or something. Touch nature. That's very, very important mm. because that takes away already a lot of that stuff. And then, of course, your physical well-being, which means good food. What means good food? Mm. Well, that's I don't want to make any publicity for these things here, but good food, <laughs> means, good food means basically as little processed foods as possible. Yeah? Mm. Yeah, you know, as much as we can get, because even the foods now we get it from the top, it's coming down, you know, all this stuff. So, uh, mm. that I would say there are a existential positive psychology. Okay, if you call it like that, it would include many different yeah. aspects, yeah, from in my opinion. Okay, yeah. But, and you can do that, and you can work, and you can work, and you can meditate. You can get this in your daily routine, all of it, if you have the courage to do so. Maybe you have to change your job. Interesting, yeah. There are definitely, I think we, I think as humans we underestimate how important it is for us to sort of connect back with nature and how to have that relationship that is so it's just so naturally calming that's why people go to you know resorts with like right. big beautiful palm trees and they go to the amazon and all that kind of stuff because it it brings us sort of back to our core and it's so funny that you mentioned grounding is because when i was little that was something that was like we had to sort of do like my parents always made us like you take off your shoes and you go outside for like at least like you know half an hour a day right. and just sort of like right. sit in yes. the trees and all that kind of stuff and it was it's now that I've like grown up and it's not something that I do as much I can see how important it is it was for me like as a child kind of balancing out that routine and just getting back to nature yeah so people what they do today they go to the beach for two weeks okay <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. okay that's okay because they think they can relax there yeah but to bring this into small, smaller increments in your daily life, if you have a park, hug the tree, go and hug a tree, talk to the tree, tree has a spirit, you know, hug the tree or whatever you want to do. 
Yeah, these are all, uh, how can I say, entities, uh, living things. Yeah. Mm. So I think there are many possibilities. It's not just done by, uh, yeah, there are many possibilities. Mm. Mm, definitely. So we're going to move into the part of the show now where we talk about um, practice habit debriefs and sort of experiments that the experts um, have used to overcome whatever the topic is that we're talking about. So, Margaret, what is a practice that you do to grow out of an existential crisis as a human being? Sort of, if you've ever had an existential crisis, what have you done to help sort of overcome it? Well, I had several major changes in my life, yeah. So... um... I find that important is to look at it. The first step is to look at it and see what is next. Where do I want to go? Why do I have this? Because I'm unhappy. I'm very unhappy about it. So that's number one, to recognize and see. Yeah. And then the next one is to look for parenthesis techniques. Yeah. And I find... Uh, uh, for me, it was changing my whole life around completely, yeah, personally, yeah, wow. and yeah, uh, into a very different way. I used to be a buyer for interstate department stores many, many years ago in the U.S. Yeah, oh, wow, <laughs> so, assistant buyer, sorry, and etc. Okay, so I, <laughs> I was, I was in that stuff, yeah. So uh, I was used to be in the travel field, so. It's like looking at what is it I want to do. I had to try out several things for myself. Is this what I want to do? Because I felt when I was young, I had not the opportunity to try out different things. It was not available. So I tried particular different things out. But eventually what I came to see was, for me it was karate and meditation initially. Sport, not sports, a focused Karate, focused like could be Tai Chi, could be whatever, uh, Qigong, focused and meditation. And yeah. I went into a Zen monastery for, uh, visited a Zen monastery for a year and a half in Hawaii. So that was my way of finding where I want to go. Okay, so uh, I today I developed something which is called Heart and Self Intelligence. There's my website. Uh, hard self-intelligence on me, and it is about getting to know yourself, getting to talk to your heart, knowing your heart, and through raising your vibrational levels, meaning compassion, gratitude, joy, yeah? And if these things come into your life, you won't have an existential crisis hmm. because they guide you in a different way. But it took years. Well, okay. to it took it took years. Yeah, yeah. It took years. No, it's not like that. It took mm. years. And so mm. I I practice regular meditation uh, every morning and every evening. People who come here, okay. we start the day off with meditate with yoga. Then the evening meditation, heart meditation. Absolutely, should be daily practice. This is your next question already. Right? It should be daily practice. I think physical, mm. but okay. physically, for some people, it's it's uh, the gym. But the gym does not help you to focus. It helps you to build up, yeah, and get rid of your yeah. tension. It should be a more focused type of thing, where you work more with your, like tai chi, or like um, other means which work with your inner balance and things like that, yeah? That's, in my yeah. opinion, much uh, more helpful. But if you need to work out, you work out. Okay, fine. That's one. Yeah? And then meditation, definitely, yes. Food. Okay, interesting. Food. So food. do you... Oh, food. Yes. Okay. But food, I mean... Uh, I mean, uh, food... Like, if possible, fresh food, as much as possible, yeah? And uh, uh, now, 
And if you are not, I happen to be vegetarian, but if you're not vegetarian, you have to check where your meat is coming from. It's full of hormones, it's full of injections. So you have to see that you can buy organic grown stuff. Mm. That's important because you're eating mm. all these things all the Definitely. time. And that's the poison which is in your body, which in turn goes into each cell and helps creating this existential crisis as well. So you need to detox as mm. well. Interesting. So many, many information. I'm recommend? sorry, but you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. This is this is what we want. So, would you recommend that people set up a set time every day to meditate and do Absolutely. those physical activities? Absolutely. Okay. Because if you set it up in the same place in the same environment, it builds up energy. It's like you're creating an energetic space for you. Each time you go in there, it becomes easier and easier and easier and creates more mm. space. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, okay. So should they, like, decide a certain time or do you just kind of, like, do it whenever you feel like it? No, a certain time. Okay. Yeah. So it's about, like, building Discipline, yeah, discipline. Uh, I like to early in the morning and in the in the late afternoon. Okay. Yeah, absolute discipline. Yes. So would you would you recommend meditation to everybody? Do you think it's something that everyone can do? I think there are different meditations for different people. Yeah? So there's so okay. many kinds of meditations. Like for example, if the person is very physical person, they can do uh, movement meditation, uh, you know, like the Sufis, that's rural or whatever. So I think it's not one type, and maybe in your life you you have to use different meditations at different times, but not one after the other each day, but do one for mm. a period of time first to settle it in. Then maybe you need something else, yeah? You need maybe uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's meditation, whatever. It depends very much. Uh, I yeah. others need to dance like crazy. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's not, you know, this is not cast in stone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I recommend hard meditation, no matter what other meditation you do as well. <clears throat> in addition to that, interesting to find your inner voice. Find your inner voice. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do you think? this practice impacts um, your personality or your perception of life? Well, you know, uh, I'm surrounded, uh, I have a very highly stressed life, if I want to call it like that, because, yeah. uh, uh, but some days are better than others, yeah? Uh, but I feel... I can just take a deep breath, step back, look at it, what's next. Um, I think I'm very patient. I can deal with many difficult situations very calmly. It has impacted me tremendously, yes. But maybe that has also to do with age. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe because I'm older, it's just, uh, you know, okay, now what's next? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not sure, but definitely meditation has a great effect, absolutely, because mm -hmm. everything is outward and comes from yeah. outside. Yeah. Interesting. So do you have, based on your experience, do you have any other recommendations of practice to be combined or used to improve um, what you're talking about? Well, as I said before, it varies for people, yeah? Uh, some people mm. have to look what is good for them. Like uh, uh, Tibetan meditation is different from uh, 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 some uh, Eastern meditation or some uh, mantra or some, uh, I don't know, whatever. You know, there's so many different meditations. And you have to look for yourself what is good. There's much around, but you have to be careful. I would be very careful. Yeah. And this is something about the heart. If you work with the heart and you feel the heart, it will know if this is good for you or not. 
Mm. Yeah, it will say no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because your mind judges differently <laughs> if somebody is very flamboyant and very well, all these huge gurus around here, especially in Bali. Mm. There are many gurus here. And uh, you need to be very, how can I say, aware. Mm. Aware and Interesting. awake. Yeah? Not everything is for yeah. you. Sometimes you have to go the other way before you find out. It's possible too. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but generally, generally speaking, uh, I think you can check out and feel how you feel about this particular. Mm. Don't be fascinated. Fascination killed the cat. Don't be fascinated. Feel. What do you feel? Do I feel good doing this? Do I feel really good? When then you ask your heart, do I feel good about doing this? Then you do it. If you feel ah. Not really, it's interesting, okay. So you have to, this is something you have to choose. Hmm. I cannot tell you that's something you, which is up to your makeup, up to your inner being, what you want to do, yeah. But definitely include physical physical approach, definitely. Physical approach, yeah. 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 Aikido, whatever it is, you know, something, uh, soft, something stronger, but these have different centers. They're important. Weightlifting, good, but mm. it's not. It's not not the the same focus. <laughs> no, definitely yes. I can vouch for dancing. I've been a dancer my whole life, so mm. that's. I feel like that's been almost my form of yeah that physical aspect of it because it's something that I just I love and I crave all the time. <laughs> yeah, then do it. And use it as your meditation. Mm, I find do. Your, find your center in <laughs> I that. I really feel yeah. it. Find your mm. center in that. Definitely. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to move into audience questions now. So I've got some questions here um, that are relating to existential crises. So the first question is... Um, is capitalism the reason that we have so many existential crises? Is it the constant drive for a life that is unattainable? It's a big question. Wow. <laughs> That's a big <laughs> question. Mm. Uh, I would kind of try to reduce this a little bit, if I may. I would say our mm. way of life will create existential crises. And then maybe capitalism, okay. that may be corporate stuff, that may be governments, that may be politics, that may be anything else. For example, our way of life is the strongest one wins, everybody else loses. And that's a very mm. unhealthy yep. way of life. But we have that, you know, mm. the Olympic Games, if the next one has 1,000 less, he's forgotten. He trained as hard as the previous one. So I think our approach to life creates that. It's not just capitalism. It's, I think if it's done properly and with proper care and proper, proper respect, it's different, but it's not. We are trained to yeah. compete. And that is, I think, the reason for many existential crises. Mm, interesting. The, the whole basis of life so, is not mm. uh, appropriate, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So do you, the next question that I've got is um, do perfectionists suffer from existential crises more than others? Very interesting question. Don't do perfection. <laughs> I mean, yes, because the perfectionist is a persona. It's not mm. the person himself okay. or itself, okay? Perfectionist mm. like you put on the mask of the perfectionist, but you think it's you. but it's not you, Hmm. okay? If it's you, it's much more flexible, yeah? So you have the persona of the perfectionist. And I think, yes, at some point it will crack. Yeah. That mask will crack, most probably. Definitely, yeah. We had a guest on, I think, maybe two, three weeks ago, um, Elliot Cohen. Everyone go listen to the episode that we did with him. Um, But we did an episode with him on perfectionism and sort of how it affects 
your personal resilience. And like you said, it, it does eventually sort of, um, sort of like scratch away at the surface and it is a facade that eventually does um, sort of break down and it doesn't, it just doesn't result in anything um, good as a human being, like you said. Well, look at it this way. Uh, that's the one part, one side. The other side is maybe the kid, the little girl, had to be perf- perfect to be accepted. So it has been a protection maybe for many, many years. And when the existential crisis comes, it breaks down. It's the opportunity to grow out of it. Mm. Okay? So it's not something negative. It's just something which was there to protect you or protect that part. Okay? And now it's time to let it go so your real you can come out. Mm. This is important. It's not negative. Yeah? Mm. Don't look at it negative. It has served a purpose. Of protecting the person yeah definitely yeah i think that's yeah i think that's something that we don't um sort of equate for easily so the last question is how can someone differentiate between an existential crisis and a mental health crisis such as depression that's a very good that's a very good question how can you differentiate Uh, you know, these definitions, they're according to the book, yeah? Mm. Existential crisis, depression. I have seen people in a depression which are in, ex- in an existential crisis. Yeah? Okay. They, they, they cannot go forward. It's not possible for them to go forward because they are mm. paralyzed by the depression. So for me, that is an, a, a crisis. Uh, I... I would not differentiate that strongly between the okay. two. Okay, interesting. Because okay. one is is a crack, huh? the other one is a slow motion mm. going down. Yeah. I, I can differentiate like that. But if you're in a deep depression, you cannot exist there, you cannot do anything. It is a huge crisis. However, we don't look, mm. if you define it by the book, no. Uh, an existential crisis is mainly something happened all of a sudden. But that which happens all of a sudden doesn't happen all of a sudden either. It's a build up of mm. maybe 40 years and then it crashes, okay? So a depression yeah. is, the, the depression is something where slowly, slowly, because of feeling worthless, because of not having the right condition, goes slowly downhill. Yeah. Mm. So uh, I would say both need to be worked with similarly. Okay, but not that big of a difference. There is a difference in wording, and there's a difference of maybe the cause can be a sudden, sudden mm. break. The other one is a slow one, yeah. but at the basis of that is a crisis. Mm-hmm. At the basis of both is the crisis. Yeah. One is worthlessness, no will to live, no this and that and the other. Yeah? And the existential crisis is very similar. I don't want to do this anymore. It's just the values are different. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. I uh, Now, if you hold me by the psychoanalytical book, no, it's not like this. But it is. In my experience, it is like this. Yeah? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I think experience speaks to much more than the book. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, very often, uh, depression can be inherited, passed on, yeah, mm. uh, through families and things like that, yeah. Existential crisis, less. Yeah, definitely. Less, okay. Mm. But, you know, we are an electromagnetic field. And if you are full of depression, you can't see anything, you can't feel anything, you can't do anything. If you're in an existential crisis, you have like a, a, more like an, it's not an explosion, but a breakdown, yeah? Something like that. Mm, yeah, so yeah. I'm talking no, energetically now, energetically. It's a bit different. Yeah. Mm, interesting. I'm curious, just out of my own 
personal curiosity. How do you sort of um, engage acupuncture in this? Because it's something that sort of like both my parents have had done. My mom had it done when she was younger, when she was pregnant and all that kind of stuff. How do you think acupuncture sort of fits into this space? Because you've mentioned energy a lot. And so I'm just wondering if that's kind of connected or if that's something else. Well, um, you know, it was very helpful to learn about meridians and energy flow. Yeah, it's very, very helpful because you know exactly that physical, a physical, um, how can I say, a physical discomfort is attached to the energy flow of your body, okay? So you learn about that. For me, I, uh, I don't do needles anymore, but I can see or I can feel or I can touch with my fingers certain points and it can release certain things, okay? I do it okay. more like that. I, I don't want the metal anymore in body, people's body, the needles. <laughs> No, yeah. but, but the, the system is very powerful because it connects with mm. certain foods, it connects with certain... Uh, the meridians, the, the, the dis-ease shows first in the meridians before it goes into the physical body. So if you have yeah. a psychological problem, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm turning it a little bit different, like uh, you're angry, you swallow your anger, okay? You get an ulcer, okay? You eat your anger inside, you get an ulcer. So, you first of all, you can express your anger. You can also work yeah. with touching the points where the anger sits and release some of that. Okay? There are many different approaches. I find it very helpful to understand the interaction of that. Interesting. Does it yeah. answer your I've question? always been fascinating. Yeah. No, I've always found it fascinating because, yeah, it's something that both my parents have had done and it was something that they were very, um, yeah, passionate about. But I've always sort of been interested. I was like, oh, should I try it? I don't know. Well, I think, you know, uh, what it does, it regulates your energy flow. You can regulate mm. your... So, you see, the principle of acupuncture is different from Western principles. The Western principles, you work with the symptoms. Okay. And you fight the intrusion. You do chemotherapy, you do this, and the chemotherapy kills anything, everything. Anyhow, you fight the intrusion. The Eastern, that's why it doesn't work. They cannot test it properly. The Eastern one is you check the pulses, you see which energy flow is weak, you reinforce the positive energy flow again and again and again and again until it by itself releases the part which is not flowing. That's a very different principle. Yeah, yeah it's a huge difference. Definitely. It's a huge difference. So you cannot empirical research. Yes, you can do, but you cannot compare them and do trial. It's not possible because one works with the principle of activation of your own life energy. The other one works with the principle of fighting the intruder. They're very different. So mm. once you know that, no, definitely. You know? yeah. Interesting. So we're going to move into the open mic section of the podcast now. So this is where the guest, Margaret, gets to talk about anything um, that she's passionate about. It doesn't have to be related to resilience or anything like that. Um, so, Margaret, I'll hand it over to you now. Thank you very much, Tia. What am I passionate about? But I'm passionate about heart self intelligence, the intelligence, our in our inner intricate innermost being, which is highly intelligent. As I was talking about before, about the, the potential of healing within ourselves. And I think what we are trying to open up is knowing that you have the healing capabilities within you. However, it's really suppressed and depressed all the time. So once we uh, can access the voice of the heart, which is done through meditation, and on my website there's some classes also, heartselfintelligence.me, and once this is done, then you can use that to raise your vibrational frequency, meaning 
we work with compassion, we work with gratitude, that in turn opens the heart more and more, love. And that gives you access to your innermost, deepest being. And the innermost, deepest being is that which has the intelligence of healing you. Okay? That doesn't mean you shouldn't get any pills. You can still get your pills. It's not the point. The point is that you start believing and knowing that you have, you're much, much larger and much bigger than you think. You're not Mm. just this restricted thing, which this is this and this is this and this is this, but you can access that inner force. And right now, the time where we are, you know that, we are in the universe in a very different position in the the Milky Way. We are are influenced by very powerful energies. So this is accessible to us now. It was not accessible maybe 150 years ago. We were in a different place in the universe. So now it's accessible to you. So take, take your chance. Start working and looking from the heart and start working with those inner huge capabilities you have. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. When they say, when they say, yeah, what did they say? Uh, existential positive. To me, it's not existential positive. To me, it is your true birthright. Getting to your true birthright. Mm. That's for me. So that's right. my compassionate, my passionate speech. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. It's great. And yeah, we will leave um, the link to Margaret's website and all her other details in the description below. Um, so thank you so much, Margaret. That pretty much brings us to the end of our podcast today, unless there's anything else you'd like to say. Well, I want to thank you and your assistant for being so uh, <laughs> helpful with me, uh, with all this equipment and stuff. Thank you, Tia, for your questions. It is- and I appreciate it. It is being difficult, yeah. By you. <laughs> no, it's been wonderful. For those who are listening, um, I'm currently in Queensland, Australia, and then producer is in Melbourne, and Margaret's in Indonesia. So we're all we're all spread out all over the place. Um, but thanks to technology, we're able to. This is the good thing about it. We can do this, yeah. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks. Yes, to all the people who made this possible. Um, And that brings us to the end of it. We'll have all of Margaret's details in the bio so you can go and look at her incredible website and learn a bit more about her and maybe go visit her out there in gorgeous Bali because it looks stunning. I've got to say, everyone's definitely got to go see the video version of this because Margaret's background is beautiful. Okay. (laughs) Much nicer than mine. Well, thanks so much, Margaret, again. Thank you. You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.